Our reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, continuing on in chapter 1 and the verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thanks, Rob. Well, last week we began a new, uh, a new series in the book of 1 Peter. And as we kicked off, Peter reminded us that as Christians, we're both exiles in this world uh, and we're chosen by God. In fact, we're misfits in the world because we're sons and daughters of heaven. Uh, which leaves us in a difficult tension. Uh, one person has described it as having one foot uh, in heaven and one foot on earth, which is a really awkward position to stand in. And so the question that Peter wants to answer in this book is, how do we live in that tension? And today, Peter's really going to start answering that question by saying, we should live with great joy. That's the place that Peter wants to draw us into today, a place of rejoicing, happiness, praise. Which hits as a bit of a surprise, doesn't it, coming off the back of last week, when, when we saw that we were exiles. We're not in heaven. We're not in the place of joy. So, how does Peter have this type of joy? Is he one of those people who you meet and you go, wow, 
how is that person so bubbly, so incredibly optimistic and joyful all the time? Well, no, Peter, Peter's not like that. He's not naive. He's actually going to talk to us in this passage about suffering and grief. And yet he is going to call us to live with joy. Now, now this morning we, we began our service with some very sad news, didn't we? The news of the passing of a precious man, a loved one. And it, it feels jarring, doesn't it? To open this passage and hear Peter say, Rejoice! How is that possible when our lives are often so difficult, when our world can be so painful? Whether it's because of sickness or grief or loneliness or, or, or busyness and stress or, or family struggles or, or a conflict in the church or just that, that discouragement when you look at the polls and you just can't find a single politician who, who represents all of God's values. How can we be joyful when life is that hard? That's what Peter's going to help us with this morning. Uh, he's going to show us three things that will, will lead us into a life of joy. Uh, three things, a lesson about the future, a lesson about the present, and a lesson about the past. So, so first, a lesson about the future. Peter wants us to see that we are headed for heaven. We're headed for heaven. That's what he shows us in verses 3 to 5. He begins in verse 3 with a triumphant cry of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, do you notice Peter's perspective? There is joy to be found in lifting our eyes beyond our own circumstances and looking to God. What has God done? Verse 3, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Literally, uh, he has caused us to be born again. Uh, this is where that phrase, a born-again Christian, comes from. Uh, and it's sometimes used to speak about that particular breed of Christian who's a bit fanatical, uh, a bit hardcore. But Peter says every single Christian is a born-again Christian. When you turn to Jesus, you do a screeching handbrake turn in the middle of the highway and you start heading in the other direction. God changes everything in your life. He transfers you from the kingdom of darkness, where we're trapped, into the kingdom of His Son, where we're made alive. You die to yourself, to your kingdom, to living in your own strength, according to your own rules, and you start to live for God and His kingdom with his power, playing by his rules. How does this new birth happen? Did you see it there in verse 3? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to set you free, that is when God makes you spiritually alive. And Peter says, when that happens in your life, it gives you a living hope. A living hope. Not the kind of hope that says, oh, I really hope things get better soon. I hope things turn out okay. I hope there's some reason for all of this. That is not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is a living hope because Jesus Christ is living. 
Our hope can never die and never be shaken because it is directly and eternally wrapped up in the life and the victory and the glory of Jesus, our risen Savior. Just as surely as Jesus lives in heaven, so will we. Eternal life will be ours because it is already His. And we are united to Him through faith. Do do you know that? That it's, it's not based on how hard you believe, how good a Christian you are. It's based entirely on the completed work of Christ. That that's our confident hope for the future. What are we hoping for? Verse four, an inheritance. Something Peter says that can never perish or spoil or fade. Something that God is keeping in heaven for us. What what is this inheritance? Well, it seems to be the end of our exile. It's when we come home. It's when God makes all things new and and we're with Him forever. We see it there in verse 5. We're waiting for the coming of our salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, for Peter, salvation is is what happens in the future when our redemption is complete. When sin is completely gone and destroyed. And we are basking in all the blessings and the glory of our heavenly home. And even Christians who have already died and gone to heaven are still waiting for that last day. The day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And we will be dwelling in a place, Peter says, where nothing perishes or spoils or fades. How different is that from where we live now? Imagine a place where nothing perishes, where there are no more strokes and no more funerals. A place where nothing spoils or or literally a place that is undefiled, where there's no evil, no sin. A place where nothing fades. Where, where the beauty and the glory never fades, even after 59 billion years of it. And here's the beautiful thing. Peter describes all of this as our inheritance. Right? You know what an inheritance is? It's what a child already owns by right, uh, but they haven't yet taken possession of it. See, the birthday present, it's already been bought and wrapped, and your name has been written on it, Now we're just waiting for our birthday when God the Father gives it to us and we can rip the paper off. For for struggling Christians who often feel like our faith is flimsy and heaven is just a distant dream, Peter wants to assure us that our future is absolutely certain. Notice everything God does in these verses. He gives us the new birth. He keeps our inheritance in heaven. And look at verse 5. He is shielding us, guarding us by His power through faith until our salvation is complete. Now, recently I learned about what's called uh, the presidential motorcade. Uh, You might have seen this on TV. You see the President of the United States. States, uh, He's driving somewhere and he's in this convoy with a whole lot of cars. Well, it turns out, The presidential motorcade usually has about 40 to 50 
vehicles in it, uh, including police, uh, ambulance, a counter-assault team of soldiers, uh, secret service agents, and sometimes a hazardous materials team. And, and the president's car, his limousine, is, is also crazy. It's basically a, a high-tech armoured tank driven by a professional driver. And I think Peter would look at that motorcade and go, that's nothing. That is nothing compared to how protected and secure we are as Christians. We are being shielded and guarded by the limitless power of God. How does God shield us? Through faith. It's our faith that is this vital lifeline that anchors us to our glorious future. And if that makes you feel nervous that maybe your faith isn't strong enough, Peter is assuring us that God himself is sustaining our faith and energizing it. And we're going to look at how he does that in just a moment. But this is the first thing Peter wants to show us about how we can have more joy in our lives. It's a lesson from the future that we are headed for heaven. I, I, I lay in bed last night, as I often do before I preach, and went, do I even, have I even made this personal in my own life? Do I actually believe what I'm about to say? And I said it out loud in bed, I'm going to go to heaven. And it, it felt a bit weird. It's just, we talk about it all the time, it's just this distant thing. Peter says, if you focus on that glorious future, you will experience more joy. See at the start of verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. He's not commanding us to rejoice. He knows we won't be able to help ourselves if we think about what God has in store for us. But that's not all. Because directly alongside our joy, we also have grief. I'm so thankful that Peter acknowledges this in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is the second lesson Peter wants to teach us. We've learned a lesson from the future. Now, now here's a lesson about the present. We're strengthened through suffering. It's verses 6 to 9. We're strengthened through suffering. Peter's not naive. He knows the tension we live in. He knows that we're elect, but we're also exiled. We're headed for heaven, but, but we're suffering on earth. And in verse 6, he holds both of these things out to us side by side. Great rejoicing and grief. What, what does Peter mean when he refers to all kinds of trials? Well, no doubt it does include being persecuted or mistreated for being a Christian. That's a theme in this book. Being mocked, excluded for your faith. But it's not limited to that. P Peter is really talking here about everything in our sinful broken world that makes life hard. All the things that come from not being in heaven. Times of frailty and of need and of weakness. Times of pain and sorrow. As we watch a loved one wasting away, or we experience decay in our own bodies. 
times when we groan under the consequences of sin or, or we feel the attacks of Satan, times of war, of oppression, of injustice, of flood, times of confusion and questioning, those times where you wonder, how did God allow that and what on earth is it achieving? Aren't you glad that Peter acknowledges that these things do grieve us? They make us sad. They trouble us. Which raises the question, well, how do joy and sorrow fit together? I want you to notice, Peter makes it clear that our joy does not come from our suffering, it comes from our salvation. See the start of verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, that is in the glorious salvation that God is giving you. That's where joy is found. As, as for the trials that we face right now, Peter acknowledges that they hurt and grieve us, but he also wants us to realize their value. Do we sadistically rejoice in pain? No. But should we humbly submit to it if God deems it necessary? Yes. Why would God deem it necessary? Let's, let's try for a minute to follow Peter's logic. There's a logic to his argument. One, there is a glorious vault overflowing with priceless treasure. Two, to get into this vault, you need a key. And so three, the most important thing is that you find that key and you never lose it. That's the logic. As Christians, there is nothing more glorious and more important than standing firm on the last day. When our salvation is complete and we're welcomed into eternal joy at the Father's side. What do we need to make that happen? What's the key? It's faith. Faith in Jesus. And so Peter's logic is simple. Nothing matters more than your faith. In your whole life, there's nothing more important than ensuring that your faith is strongly fixed on Jesus. And that is why God sends us trials. Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, if you want to refine gold, if you want to get rid of its impurities, you have to put it into a fire and heat it more than a thousand degrees, at which point it starts to melt. And then when you remove the gold and let it cool, other metals, such as copper and tin and iron and lead, will, will float to the top and can be removed. And then you're left with pure gold. And Peter says the same is true for your faith. To make it strong and true, it needs to be tested and heated. Is it, isn't that true from your own experience? Isn't it always in the tough times that we start calling out to God and wrestling with Him and growing in our faith? When you lose your job and money gets tight, then you're forced to ask, do I really trust God? 
when your marriage starts struggling, that's when you're forced to ask, well, where am I going to find all this love and forgiveness that I need? When you can't figure out what the future holds, that's when you ask, well, am I trusting in my plan or am I trusting in God? Uh, Many of you have probably heard of American preacher and teacher Tim Keller. Uh, He's 71 now and he's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I was listening to an interview of him recently and he described the moment that his doctor told him that uh, this cancer would kill him and there was no cure. And Keller said both he and his wife Kathy suddenly realized, quote, we were living in a veil of illusion that we would live forever. We actually really were. And he says the cancer diagnosis shook them out of that illusion. And he says, I was really living off a deep denial of my mortality and a belief that the things of this world are really the things that are going to satisfy me. But they never really have. And yet I keep going back and keep going back. And then he said, having cancer means that the things you really were relying on for your soul's repose, they just don't do it anymore. It's God or nothing. And when you go to him, guess what? There's a communion with God which is available at a level you just felt the need to push through to find. And when you do and you push through, you find that it's there. I love, I love what Keller says. Other things just don't do it anymore. It's God or nothing. Trials are painful. There's no doubt about it. But Peter is saying there's absolutely nothing more important, more valuable, more worthwhile, more essential than strengthening your faith. Even gold, which, which through history has been known as one of the most precious materials ever. Even gold is going to be worthless on the day that Jesus comes back as mighty judge. What are you going to have to show God on that day? Are you going to point down to earth where there is a black plume of smoke rising where your mansion and your cars and your business and your boat have just been destroyed and say, that was my greatest achievement. Or will you point to Jesus, risen at the Father's right hand, and say, I'm with him. I'm his plus one. That's what it means to have faith. It's, it's pointing to Jesus and saying, I'm with him. He is my life. He is my righteousness. He is my hope. And Tim Keller ended the interview by saying that even though it sounds kind of weird, he feels that he's actually happier than he's ever been before at 71 with pancreatic cancer, dying any day, because he said he's never been closer to Jesus. And isn't that exactly what Peter is saying in verses 8 and 9? Read them with me. I love these verses. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does a refined faith look like? 
What does a mature Christian look like as they balance joy and hope with suffering and grief? Here it is. It's the mystery of relationship with Jesus through faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him and believe in him and are filled with inexpressible joy. Have you experienced that? The intimacy and the joy that comes as God strips away your dependence on anything else so that all you can see and all you value and all you love and all you treasure is Christ himself. And you can't even find words to express it because he is so precious to you. That's what I look for as I sit in my chair in the morning and read the Bible and pray. I long to experience again that fellowship with Jesus in heaven through his spirit in me. And we don't experience it all the time. There are seasons of dryness and there are seasons of doubt, but even those, don't they make us long for it all the more? when we're in heaven and our faith becomes sight. So if you want to gauge whether you're growing as a Christian, growing in faith and hope and joy, here are some signs of growth. More and more, finding your joy in spiritual things. More and more, looking to your heavenly future, for lasting satisfaction rather than the lesser things of this life. More and more finding that trials and struggles draw you back to God rather than shake you. More and more finding Christ to be real and lovely even though you can't see him. How does that process happen? Through the daily process of of putting your faith in God again. It's so simple. Waking up and looking to Him, depending on Him, trusting His promises, fixing your eyes on heaven, resting in the knowledge that He is guarding you with His power, and remembering Jesus is coming again soon. So, we're back on track. How can exiles and refugees stranded on earth experience joy and hope? Peter began with a lesson from the future. We are headed for heaven and you can take that to the bank. There's a lesson from the present. We are strengthened by sufferings. Every single hardship in your life has been ordained by God. And it's there to refine and grow your faith. And now third and finally in verses 10 to 12, Peter wants to teach us a lesson from the past. He wants us to see our privileged position. He wants us to see our privileged position. See, here's the thing. As Christians, we can become so blasé about our salvation, can't we? We become bored with the Bible in our hands and 
and you hear about Jesus dying and rising again and it washes over you. We can become like a privileged kid living in Australia with a drone, a remote-controlled drone, and we're bored of it. And we need to be reminded that there are kids in other parts of the world who don't even have a piece of paper to fold into a paper plane. In verses 10 to 12, Peter's goal is to show us how privileged we are as Christians today. He says, long ago throughout the Old Testament, there were prophets who searched intensely and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Imagine if we only had the Old Testament here with us in church this morning. Maybe I'd be preaching uh, from Jeremiah 33 and would read that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. That would be a hard thing to preach on. We would have so many questions, wouldn't we? Who is this person? What's he going to be like? When's he coming? What does this mean for us and our future? See, the Old Testament prophets, they were kind of like a group of code breakers uh, sitting in a room poring over numbers and symbols, trying to figure out the code that unlocks the door to the treasure vault. Whereas you and I, well, the door's wide open and we just walk in and we get to just gaze at this mountain of gold. Verse 12 it was revealed to these prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What's that treasure? It's, it's the gospel. In particular, it's the sufferings and glories of the Messiah. So if there are any of us here who are struggling to find joy in our salvation, Peter wants you to to see what you're part of. That our salvation doesn't just stretch forward into the future, but it also strikes back to the past through thousands of generations. The gospel woven into the stories of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David. The person of Jesus foreshadowed in thousands of prophecies and symbols. And it's you and me who have the privilege of seeing what it was all pointing to. Jesus, the Son of God, who came to live the perfect life we could never live, who came to die the terrible death that we deserved and came to rise again from the dead so that we could become citizens of heaven. That is a glorious message. It's so glorious. Peter finishes verse 12 with this amazing sentence. Even angels long to look into these things. The world may look down on us for being Christians. They may mock our silly little gospel with our foolish Saviour crucified. But there are perfect angelic beings in heaven who can think of nothing more intensely interesting and exquisite than God's plan to save sinners like you and me. If you're not a Christian 
this morning. I hope that like the angels, you'll long to look into these things. I hope that you'll be jealous of our joy. I hope that you'll see the way the people in this room this morning grieve the loss of a loved one and that you'll put your faith in Jesus too. And if you are a Christian, I hope that even now these lessons from Peter are are stirring your heart with joy and that they'll continue to bring you joy this week. Joy knowing that your salvation is secure and heaven is coming. Joy knowing that the trials in your life have come from God's loving hand to refine your faith and lead you deeper and closer to Jesus. And joy knowing how privileged we are to know Jesus and everything he's done for us. Let's pray together. Peter was right, Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All praise and glory to you for what you have chosen to do for nobodies like us. Not just nobodies, but even your enemies. Sinners running away from you, disinterested in you, mocking you. And you broke into our lives and you gave us new life and a living hope. Salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you for the hope that we have, for the salvation that's coming when Jesus returns. We thank you that all the trials we currently face, even though they are so sad sometimes, so painful, so hard, that they're part of your plan and they're designed to grow us, to strengthen our faith so that on that day it would be stronger and more precious than refined gold and it would result in praise and honour and glory when Jesus is revealed. Please do that work for us, Lord. Do whatever it takes to strengthen the faith of every person in this room. If we have to go through the fire, Lord, strengthen us for it and may it be used by you to grow our faith until we reach our heavenly home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.